Can we just give them a hand? I mean, these guys... You know, as a church, as a church startup, you know, you, you anticipate, you know, what do we do in the rain? Like when it happens, like it happens here, right? Does it, okay, how do we do it? And then you get there and you're like, okay, how do we figure this out? I feel like these guys are showing off this morning. It's like I got here and everything was already set up. The signs were out. So anyways, you guys are awesome. Thanks for all you're doing. And uh, the best part of it all is everybody's having a fun time as, as we do it together. So uh, there's opportunities to serve and, and build community that way. As Cindy said, uh, we'd love to have you join. Uh, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to uh, Mark 2. We're going to be continuing through the book of Mark. And actually today, starting a new a series that uh, we're titling, uh, Enter the Story. Uh, everyone loves a good story, right? Um, but for the most of us, our participation in, in storytelling or story uh, uh, listening is as an observer. But in the, the story that God is writing throughout history... Uh, he invites us to be a part of it. And he, not just some of us, but all of us. And so as we continue to look at Jesus as he launches this ministry through the first chapters of the book of Mark about his life, about his work, we're going to consider how he, he invites us into the story and what part we can play in that. Now today specifically, we're going to be looking at the topic of the inclusivity of Jesus which I just think is just a wonderful topic, a relevant topic today in the church, because there are any number of folks who, when they look at the church, they think it's an exclusive, holier-than-thou club. That there's a standard that you have to live up to, and it's not until you live up to that that you're on the inside. You know, you know the secret handshake, you know, you're, you're in, you're good. Um, and it's not surprising then that a lot of people are wanting less to do with the church today in greater numbers than before, or they're leaving the church in greater numbers than ever before. But in the text we're looking at today, I love this. Jesus takes this idea of exclusivity, this idea of a holier-than-thou mindset, and just completely obliterates it with his scandal of grace. So what I want to do is read the text, we'll pray, and then we'll, we'll, we'll get into this. Um, so if you have your Bibles, it'll, it'll also be up on the screen this is Mark 2, starting in verse 13. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. That's the, the Sea of Galilee, north of Jerusalem. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Let's pray. God, if there's a stake that we put in the ground as a church, it's that we are sinners saved by your grace. Lord, I love the songs that we're singing today, reminding us of that. Uh, we are sinners saved by grace. And so, Lord, as we, as we look at your amazing grace, your scandalous grace as it was in that culture, uh, help this uh, shape us individually and as a church. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. 
So the plan is to go through the story. We're going to look at Levi and crew, the, the Pharisees' objection, then we're going to draw three conclusions of what Jesus, the scandal of grace we see here, uh, means for us individually and as a church. Okay, so first of all, Levi and his crew. When I, I've read through the book of Mark over the years, any number of times, and this is the first time it's really struck me how deliberately, how provocatively even, Jesus was doing his best to upend the religious way of thinking at the time. I mean, he was just making statement after statement just right out of the gate. A couple weeks ago when we looked at Mark 1, he was calling the first disciples, these guys who would follow, with him, follow him for what would amount to be three years, who would be with him, learn about all the things that he was about, be representatives of him, ultimately taking his message into the world for three years. And who does he call the first four people? Fishermen. Not the religious elite, not the politically powerful, not the white-collared experts, fishermen. Today, it's like he's saying, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to double down on this whole thing, and we're gonna, we're, I'm going to call a tax collector. Now, we need to understand real quickly how shocking, how appalling this would have been to the Jewish culture back then. Tax collectors, probably the best way to think about them is they were tax farmers. They were middlemen. They were franchisers. They were literally outbidding each other in order to get a stake of land, a region of land, where they would represent the Roman government collecting their taxes for them. And so by very nature, these guys were greedy and, and working a system that where after they bidded, they collected the receipts, they collected the money, and they sent that off to the Roman government, and the government gave them all power to then, on top of that, collect their profit by taking whatever else they could, and the people had no idea what those receipts were, what they had bidded. All they knew is they had the Roman power backing them. And so these guys were shady, and everybody despised them. And so if you want to have an idea of what these guys, like kind of the flavor in the, in, in the, the Jewish mouth was back then, think of like a Nazi informant or a mole. And you start to think about, here these guys are in broad daylight, and all they wanted to do was get their hands around their neck, and they couldn't touch them. They couldn't stand them. Actually, there's some early uh, uh, rabbinic teachings in the Talmud and the, the Mishnah. I think we'll have up here a, a list here. Tax collectors, this is not the word of God. These were extra, like, traditional things. They were kind of of the day how the, the, the Jewish people treated tax collectors. They lumped them together with thieves and murderers. They were disqualified as judge and witnesses in court. They were expelled from the synagogue. They were disgraced, disgraced to their families. And then look at how the, the, the Jews uh, uh, were treated. If they uh, came in contact with the tax collectors, they were considered unclean ritually. Uh, they were allowed to lie to tax collectors with impunity. They weren't even allowed to take money or alms from tax collectors because the money that they had obtained was, was deemed robbery. And of course, they were a constant reminder of Roman domination, which, which everybody just couldn't stand. These guys were despised and hated. I, I love the little verse here, too, in, in verse 13. You know, it, when the first time I read this, I just kind of skipped over it. Oh, it's just kind of a minor detail. But it says, Jesus walking beside the lake. He was in the region of Galilee, which meant Levi's little stake of land was almost certainly the little same place of land that was collecting taxes from Jesus' very own four disciples. Meaning the four, I mean, think of it this way. Jesus is walking up to these guys, uh, excuse me, walking up to Levi, and Peter, James, John, and Andrew, these four fishermen who are now his disciples, are like, uh, Jesus, you're walking in the direction of Levi. Uh, you know, divert course. 
The, you know, this guy's a swindler. Don't do Jesus walks right up to him and says, follow me. And what's great about this is Jesus doesn't just stop there with Levi. He throws a party. He says, Levi, get your whole people together, round them up, and we're having a party. And actually, the way it's worded, scholars tell us it's as if Jesus were hosting this party, not even Levi. It says he was eating with them. Actually, the word there is he was reclining with them. They didn't have tables like, you know, waist height as we do. They were down. They were just kind of like feet out, head in, party, hanging out, intimate relationship. And so it's no wonder then that the Pharisees, these religious leaders, had major issue with this. Here's their, their objection. It says they came up to the, the, the disciples. I love that. They just kind of undercut Jesus. They just go back to the disciples not even going to Jesus directly. He says, why does he, this guy, Jesus, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now, before we just totally write them off and say, okay, they're just stupid. Pharisees, stupid. I think we got to acknowledge that the fact is they're actually onto something here a little bit. I mean, they're saying, Jesus, don't you realize that in eating with these tax collectors, these sinners, this group of people that everybody just knows are just, you know, vile people? Like, don't you know that? Isn't that condoning the behavior? Or Jesus, can't you, can't you see that the crowd following you, verse 13, the disciples who are with you at this party, verse 15, that they're going to think it's okay? Do you start to feel the tension in this text? Do you start to feel the tension of what this means for us as a church today? It's scandalous what Jesus is representing here. So let's look at what this means for us with three thoughts. The scandal of grace. Well, I'm going to look at Jesus' core value we see here, his MO, and then his message. So his core value is clearly relationship. I mean, what Jesus prioritizes over everything else is relationship. Everything else is eclipsed by his wanting people to understand he loves them. You know what the Pharisees were all about? Putting people in their place. You know what the Pharisees wanted? They wanted Jesus in the middle of this party. Okay, guys, I'm going to stand up here. This has been a great time. I hope you're loving the food. That drink's pretty good. Hey, everybody's attention. Okay, I got a word for you. Actually, it's just one word. <clears throat> you're sinners. Sinners, all of you. That's what the Pharisees wanted. But you know what Jesus was doing? He's just overwhelming them with his love and grace. While the Pharisees wanted, them, wanted him playing the game of whack-a-mole. You guys know that game, whack-a-mole in the arcade? There's this little, like, board where you have, yeah, you got it. You got these six little, it's usually six little holes there, and then these mechanical moles will just pop up randomly. Of course, you have this huge mallet. My little two-year-old takes out her aggression playing this game. It's really awesome. I'm like, yeah, you get it out there, because we don't, we don't want that back at home. Just whack. The Pharisees want it, and, and you know, in the church today, we can very easily say, oh, you live that lifestyle? Whack. Oh, you associate with those people? Whack. You do that, you do this? You know, whack, whack. But Jesus is saying, look, what matters most here is relationship. And this is, this is really the scandal of the story, is that Jesus does not make moral repentance a precondition to his love and acceptance. But we are loved and accepted, tax collectors and sinners alike, for who they are and who we are. If the tax collectors forsake their evil and amend their ways, like for instance, Zacchaeus in, in Luke a little bit later, he says, you know what, Jesus I realize I got to give all the money back. I got I to gotta give it to the poor. I've been living in wrong. If they do that, it's not because they owe Jesus a favor. It's because they love, that he, he loves them. Now, a quick pastoral sidebar. 
We want to be a church of grace and truth. We want to be a church of both grace and truth. Does Jesus take sin seriously? Absolutely. Should we take sin seriously? Absolutely. If for no other reason than sin ultimately cost the life of the Son of God. It's our sin, if we've believed in him, as we were singing about today, that pegged him on the cross. And Jesus also says, by the way, you know, these actions, these behaviors, they, they will, they're, they're harmful to you, they're harmful to others, even, by the way, when you don't quite see it or understand it eye to eye. But what he's modeling for us here is this life change, which we want, which we desire, comes out best in relationship, in understanding and being overwhelmed by the Lord, by, by Jesus' love. You know, the Pharisees, their whole strategy, this whack-a-mole, this, hey, let's just come out of the gate, putting people in their place. You know where that got them? Later, Jesus, you know, 23 chapters in the book of Matthew, Jesus finally is sick of it. He said, he says, you know what, guys? All right, I've been, I've been kind with you. I've been gracious to you. Now I'm going to tell you how it really is. You guys are trying to enter the kingdom of heaven, and you're not entering, and what's worse is you're keeping others from entering. In another place, he says, Pharisees, you focus so much on trying to, to clean the outside of the cup, but focus on cleaning the inside of the cup, and the outside will take care of itself. Levi is a wonderful example. If he went back to his deceitful ways, his, his greed and all of that, uh, Jesus did not say, hey, come follow me, and by the way, you're going to stop that, right, as you follow me. No, he didn't do that. But let's say he relapsed or whatever, however you want to call that, along the way. We have to fig- We know that one of the disciples would have come up to him and said, Levi, you know you left that. You don't need that anymore. And helped him through that way. The, the most important thing here for Jesus, the, the, the starting point and, and, and the, the, the point we need to always come back to is that Jesus cares most about relationship. And we'll talk a little bit more later about how we can even forget that. But you are loved deeply. Jesus knows who you are, what you've done, the things you're proud of, the things you're not proud of, and loves you deeply. By the way, he wants to throw a party for you. More on that to come. So the scandal of grace is... He prioritized relationship. Uh, that's the most important. Here's his MO. It's, it's to be inclusive. The culture he was trying to create is, is, an, is an inclusive one. There, were a couple, there was a couple years back where I, I put together a, a preaching series uh, with a team that I was on, and, we, and I, I divvied up uh, how we preached the thing. Because I had been reading and just kind of understanding just through you know, paying attention in the church that uh, the way it typically works in a church, and I'm not knocking any one church here, okay? I'm just kind of talking higher level, uh, is what the, the typical culture is, you first need to behave, then you can believe and belong. Get your act together, fit these norms, which what does that mean? It can mean any number of things. Political views, you know, how you, you know, what's in your driveway? I mean, it, the list is on and on, it just depends. Get your act together, get these norms together, and then by the way, you can believe and you, you're, you're, you're in. You're among us. Whereas what Jesus is modeling for us here is it's not behave, believe, become. It's belong first. And then you can believe and become. Jesus doesn't say to Levi, you've got it all figured out. Okay, now you're in. He says, hey, come in and experience me even as you're figuring it out. You know one of the, the things, that, that one of the, the insights that just kind of hit me over the last few years is it's not until Mark 8, we're in Mark 2 right now, six chapters from now, 
two, two and a half years into Jesus' ministry from this point we're looking at today. It's not until Mark 8 that Levi and these other guys, Peter, James, John, the, the, all the rest of the disciples, finally become Christian. Finally receive Jesus for who he truly is. Jesus sets it up. He says, who do people think I am? It's like, well, you're a prophet. Some people say you're a good teacher. What about you guys? Who do you think I say I am? You're the Messiah, the Son of God. You've come to take away the sins of the world. And it's in that moment, two, two and a half years from what we're looking at today, that Levi's like, oh my goodness. Which means, for two, two and a half years, Levi's out there hanging with Jesus, being about Jesus, loving others, representing Jesus, even going on little mission trips for Jesus. How is that right? He's not a Christian yet. Scandalous. And then through that, he believed, and ultimately he become. You know what history tells us? Levi ultimately gave his life as a martyr, telling people about the love of Jesus. He died. He went from being a tax collector to giving his life because of Jesus' love for him. Belong, believe, become. I have a buddy of mine. He was actually a groomsman in my uh, wedding. He, he's a punk kid. He grew up, he's just a punk. He's a jerk, actually. And he just, um, he just, uh, he, he's just constantly getting in trouble, trouble with the law, like vandalizing. His thing was vandalism. I don't know why. Um, he, you know, he's on drugs, all those sorts of things. He grew up going to church. Wasn't a good experience for him. Uh, he just felt like, man, when I went there, I just, you know, people came down on me. It wasn't a place for me. You know, I, I've never saw myself as a Christian, but as soon as he got older, he just, he split. He was done with it. Well, when he got into college at Cal, which is where I met him, he, he was still a punk. <laughs> he was still a jerk. But some of our friends kind of came around him and said, hey, check out this church. They're cool. You know, you're going you're gonna to like, you're going to see what it's about. Let's be real with you. They're not going to let you be a punk, but you need that. You know you need that. Come check it out. And so he kind of came, like, whatever. Okay, I'll come. He checked it out. And he kind of, he stuck around for a little bit. He didn't leave right away. And uh, little by little, uh, you know, he just kind of was hanging out. Well, we needed a drummer, and he played the drums, so he started playing drums. I love that about church. Like, he's not Christian. He's playing in a church band. It's like, that's awesome to me. And I think it's awesome to Jesus. Scandalous grace. And he's, he's sitting there. He's starting to play the drums. He's, he's listening to sermons month after month. And then there's this one day that I just will never forget. He's playing the drums after the sermon, and he stops playing. And you know, if, if people on the, the band, they stop playing the drum, uh, excuse me, the, like the keys, even the, like the guitarists, if they stop playing, it's like, maybe you notice. If the drummer stops playing, everybody notice. Okay, everybody knows this. It's like, what just happened? And I was sitting up right in the front. This is the day of like projection screens, so I'm like, that's me, like watching all this happen. And he, he stops, and he starts playing again. And he stops. And he starts playing again. And this time he stops for like 30 seconds just staring at his sticks. 30 seconds in like a three-minute song. That's like eternity. And I remember my good buddy uh, who was leading the worship was just like, like, what's going on? You know, I, I just had the whole, the, it was just all playing out in front of me. And so he's looking at his sticks. And then all of a sudden he just throws them up in the air. I remember one came down, crashed on one of the toms, hit the ground. He goes down to this little area. So if like this is drums, he came down to this little area right here. No, no one prompted him to do this. No one said, hey, we're going to do a time of this. He came up. He kneeled, both knees, tears in his eye. And this guy was not, I'm sure you can tell from the story, a guy who teared up. And put his faith in Jesus. Accepted God's love for him. 
And I got to see my buddy's life transformation. And I'm not just talking by the way that he became not a jerk, which that was a cool part. He just became a loving guy living for other people. He was a software engineer by this point, working 60 hours a week. He kept serving in, in the band. He got a lot of fulfillment. He, he loved set, like setting up, you know, being a part of worship, helping other people worship. But he also started to give back in the community, uh, helping at-risk kids in Oakland. And it didn't dawn on me until I was preparing this message. I knew I was going to use this as an example. It didn't dawn on me that he no doubt started giving back to at-risk kids because that's who he was. I was like, oh my goodness, that's what's going on. Just start, you know, tutoring them, hanging out with them, and sharing the love of Christ with them. Belong, believe, become. I think that's the pattern Jesus shows us. And I'm so thankful for that because my buddy, I mean, if that hadn't been the case, you know, a big part of our vision here at Current, uh, we just want to extend to you, is wherever you're at in your faith journey, Let's say you're checking out the claims of Jesus for the first time, or let's say you're checking them out again for the first time. You're invited to be a part of this. We don't want you to feel like you're just tolerated here. We want you to have a seat at the table. Now, does that mean I'm going to give you a Bible and let you teach the Bible? Okay, no. I mean, for integrity reasons. But, it, but, but in all ways, of what we're trying to accomplish our vision of loving God, loving one another, Loving the world, starting with this community where we are, Mountain View, Silicon Valley, and beyond, we want to lock arms with you because that's how Jesus wants to do it. And full disclosure, all cards on the table, we hope and pray that you would put your faith in Jesus. Why? Because there's nothing better as we see it. So Jesus' core value, relationship, his MO, inclusive, and then finally his message Everyone's invited to a party. I love this about this text. Jesus is a partier. I mean, that's, I'm like, oh, this is cool. This is, Jesus loves a good party. He was just saying, and you know what? The Pharisees were missing out. Look what they say. They come to him it's, you know, and, and just say, why are you guys associating with these people? And Jesus says this. It's not for the healthy. It's not the healthy you need a daughter, doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. It's like we just sang about Jesus is saying, everybody's a sinner. Everybody needs help. And by the way, that includes you, Pharisees. And the Pharisees were missing out on that. You know what was getting in their way? Pride. Pride. There is another story, my favorite story probably that Jesus tells, and maybe even one of his most famous, um, that I think brings us all to a head for us. It's the story of the prodigal son. You may have heard of it. I actually think you can title it, especially considering how we're thinking about this text today, the story of the prodigal sons, plural, because there's a younger brother and there's an older brother. And check out, before Jesus tells this story, this is in Luke 15, so about, you know, good, good deal into his ministry. Check, check out how, this, how the, the setup for how he tells the story. Now, tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. Does that sound familiar? But the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. It's under that context that Jesus says, I want to tell you a story about how much God loves you. He says, there's a, there's a younger brother who all he, uh, he got fed up living with his dad. And he went up to his dad and he said, you know, I've been living with you. You know, I, this has been cool, but I want to live, I want to do my own thing. You know, I, I, wanna, I don't want to live under your rules anymore. And he asked the unthinkable. 
can I get my inheritance early? Not waiting for you to die. Can I get my inheritance early? And Jesus, in telling the story, did an even, like, shared an even more unthinkable in saying, the father's like, okay, you can do that because I'm not trying to force your love onto me. And so this guy goes out and he lives this life. And at first, it's really cool, it's really fast, it's fun, but it doesn't take too long for him to find it just completely empty, unsatisfying, even as fun as it is. And then he finally just hits a real low, runs out of money, and he just gets to this place where he's like, you know what? It would be better living with my dad as a servant than continuing this life the way it is. And so he heads back to his dad's home. He doesn't know if his dad, his father, is going to receive him back, but he starts concocting this little speech. Okay, when I get there, I'm going to say, Dad, I've sinned against you. I've sinned against heaven. Would you take me back as a servant? And before he even gets back, the father spots him while he's still a little distance off, comes running out, bear hugs him, doesn't let him get his little speech out, and says, Son, you are loved. We're throwing a party today. Kill the fattened calf, servants. We're throwing a party. Now, think of it this way. The tax collectors and sinners are hearing the story, and you know what some of them are no doubt thinking? Can this be? Can, this, can God's love really be like that? And Levi, one of his disciples, is standing there and saying, that's exactly how it is. That's how it is. It's awesome. But the Pharisees are there saying, oh, I don't know. I don't know. Jesus continues the story. He says, there's an older brother. And I never noticed this detail in the story until looking at it this time. The older brother heard the dancing and the music, saw the dancing, heard the music, and he got upset. He didn't like this party going on. He said, what's going on? And, and the servants came out and said, your, your younger brother's here. He's back. His father comes out and says, hey, come on into the party. And his older brother had none of it. He's like, Dad, are you kidding me? How dare you throw a party for this son of yours, he says. I've been good my whole life. I've done everything you've told me to. And you've never even given me the littlest of calves to have a party with my buddies. And the father appeals to him. He says, son, don't you realize everything I have is yours? This, this brother of yours was lost and now he's found. He was dead, and now he's alive. That's what we're celebrating. Come on to the party. And that's where the story ends. I heard a preacher say it this one way. It, with the story ending like that, it should give us a great chill to know that we don't know if the older brother went in or not. We don't know if the older brother ultimately went into that party. That's a scary thought. Levi, the tax collectors, the younger brother, they got into the party. The older brother, there's a real warning, in other words, for the Pharisee type of thinking that we can just think, you know, pride can get in the way. Now, what does this mean for us? I think the, the story of the prodigal sons really just kind of illuminates for me what's going on in Mark 2 with Levi and these Pharisees. You might be here today as the younger brother realizing, oh my goodness, God loves me that much. Wait, it can't, that, that can't be right. David, you don't know what I've done. You don't know what's in my heart. God loves you that much. He wants to throw a party for you. He doesn't want you to wallow in guilt. He wants you to just be enveloped by his arms. And that's available for you today. That's receiving his love by accepting what Jesus did for, for you on the cross, by dying for your sins. Uh, we'd love to talk to you about it. If you see me after service, if 
the Lord's working on your heart, write down your card. We'd love to follow up with you. Or maybe you're like the younger son, but you're more of the place of you, you've had a time with the father, but now you're doing your own thing. And, and you're like, you know what? I'm done. I'm done with that. I'm not into you. And you know what? I'm going to live my life the way I want to live it, especially with this thing right here. This, I'm not letting go of this. This is, this is me. And you know what the Father's saying to you? Same thing. Come on into the party. Release it. Come on in. There's a party here for you. Or maybe you need to think about it in terms of the older brother. Maybe you've forgotten, maybe you've forgotten that at the end of the day, what really matters, what eclipses all things, is relationship. Some of my favorite, uh, so, so, some of uh, the people that I just look to and I think, oh my goodness, their relationship with God, their faith is just so strong. They love God so much. It's contagious. They're often older Christians, not always. I've found that there's a theme amongst them. That when you go and talk to them, it's like, wow, like how's this? They'll say, you know what, I'm a, sinful, I'm a sinner. And you're like, oh, no, you're a good person. You're like, you're the person I'm trying to live and be like. I'm a sinner. And you know what? The more I realize that to be true, even as God works in my life and makes me more like his son, the more I realize how much God loves me. And I wonder if some of us need to remember that's about relationship. Maybe we've made it into something else. Maybe it's guilt. Maybe you're, you're not holding on to something. You've, you've tried to release it, but you keep going back to it because that's the human condition. And you're just like, oh, man, this is, it's keeping you from experiencing the Father's love. He says, you know what? I've forgiven you. I love you. Or maybe there's a pride issue of things have to be this way in my life or in others' life or in the church or outside the church. Things have to be this way, and it's pride. It's a hardened heart. It's about relationship. God wants us to experience more fully how wide, how high, how deep, and how long is the love of God through Jesus Christ. And that doesn't matter if you have not yet put your faith in him, if you're just looking at his claims and trying to figure out what he's about, or if you've put your faith in him decades ago. God loves you. He loves me. And here's what this text is all about. Here's what the Bible is all about. God wants to throw a party. In a, in a very big sense of it, I love this. I think current, you know, in a way we can put this, what we're, try, what we're about here is we're trying, to th- we're trying to get the party started. That's our goal here. Pub trivia. No, not quite. No, was like, that's, that's one of the... Here on Sunday mornings, this is in a way a party in our hearts. Okay, that sounded really cliche, but you're following me. Uh, cheesy, but you're following me. Celebrating the unmerited, undeserving, scandalous grace of God through Jesus Christ. We sing about it. We're going to sing about it. And in doing that, releasing everything else because we just know we have freedom and love in him because of what he's done for us and not what we have done for ourselves. We want to throw a party here, and we want to get the invitations out. How do we want to get the invitations out? We want to focus on relationship, even as God works in our hearts and, and makes us, molds us more into his son. And we want to be a place of inclusivity, meaning wherever you're at, if you're learning about Jesus' love for the first time or if you're growing deeper, more deeply in his love, that's the point of all of this. That's why Jesus came to invite us all in. Uh, I'd like to close our time as the band uh, starts to come up.
with, a, with an old hymn. And then we'll pray. Come sinners to the gospel feast. Let every soul be Jesus' guest. Ye need not one be left behind, for God hath bid all humankind. Ye who believe his record true shall sup with him and he with you. Come to the feast, be saved from sin, for Jesus waits to take you in. Let's pray. Lord, as we started uh, this, this time together, we aff- aff- affirm again now, and that is our claim is that we are sinners saved because of your amazing grace. Your scandalous grace, undeserving, unmerited grace. And we love you for that. Lord, for, there's, there might be some here now where for you, this is the first time you're really seeing, this is what Jesus is about. And you can receive this grace where you're at by asking the Lord in your heart to forgive you your sins. And then there's any number here as well where we need to rediscover or just grow more deeply in the relationship of how much you love us. We, we don't claim to have it figured out, and Lord, that's the whole point. It's in, your, it's in our weakness that your strength is made perfect. Lord, we, we, may we be a church that is known for its humility because we don't have it all figured out, but we're following the one who does and has figured out on our behalf. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. At this time, we're going to take the offering. You're going to see buckets go around.